Outside the Tank is not affiliated with Shark Tank. Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom. And I'm Joe. I'm Tom's partner, the better-looking one. Okay. (laughs) This is our last episode in these dumb t-shirts. Yeah, so we, you know, look, we we do these interviews, then we do the pregame and the postgame. We like to record a few of them at once. So two episodes ago, if you were watching or listening, you know that we're wearing these ridiculous t-shirts. I'm wearing it because I felt bad that Joe came in wearing (laughs) a stupid t-shirt and he forgot we were filming today. So luckily I had this stupid t-shirt because Joe, quote unquote, gave me it as a gift. In reality, he found it in his garage, and he thinks it's funny that the chihuahua on here looks like the chihuahua that my wife has living in my home. So it's not your dog. It's no, it's living, not my dog. It's living in your home. Yeah. You know what I call it? What? I say rat. Rat. I'm like, get out of my way, rat. Oh, my God. Yeah. Dog hater. Sometimes I'm nice. My partner's a dog hater. That's not I'm true. a dog lover. I know you are. Do you like my well, dog? Well, you got to find someone to be nice to you. <laughs> So. You like my dog, Buzz? Buzz is nice. Yeah. He's a well-behaved dog. He is. Yeah. He's almost like a human being. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Buzz is a fat, happy, nice dog. He is. He's probably eating pasta every night. Well, actually, yeah, he did. we did have some pasta last night. He got some of the spaghetti off my plate when I wasn't looking. Oh, uh, you must have been furious. <laughs> I, I was not happy. You must have been irate. <laughs> Uh, okay, so yeah, Sean, you, you and I—we've never really had a you know a, a heated discussion or an argument. But if I if I stole off your plate, that would probably set you off. It, you know, it, it would. It would bother me. I'm very I'm very covetous of my food. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would. I'll, I'll never see you move so fast to protect the plate. <laughs> and it's weird because it's not like I grew up in a home with you know 15 brothers and sisters. I just had one sister, but. Yeah, I do tend to hover around the plate a little bit, protected. So Sean, Sean Spencer, Mirror Mirror. So this is, Mirror Mirror is a high-end, really good photo booth, essentially. Yeah. So um, great camera, some filtering. And keep in mind that you know the business was obviously started before he went on Shark Tank, but this is back in 2017. So when they created the business... You know, Instagram wasn't what it was. Uh, User-created content wasn't what it was. You couldn't flip through a ton of filters on an Instagram or on your phone, um, you know, to be able to change things. So the idea of taking a really high-quality picture in a photo booth was pretty innovative. Then being able to do some filtering to cover blemishes and stuff. And I, I Instagram, by the way, Joe, it's a, it's a social media service. Oh, Yes, yes, I've heard of. It. Yes, yeah. you post pictures. Is it on the? Is it on the interweb? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So, okay, <laughs> three hundred and fifty thousand for ten percent of the business. Right. So they're valuing the company at three point five million. Um, pretty impressive, though. Four million of sales in the three years prior to airing. Um, they had nine machines. 
if you wanted to bring one of these to your event, uh, entry level price was $2,750. And then if you wanted the highest tier package, which obviously included some other things, it was $3,650. So $2,700 to $3,600, not a cheap photo booth, but you know, if you have a high end event or an expensive wedding or an award show, um, you know, I look you what's another couple thousand dollars at that point. And the machines cost thirty two thousand and they need twenty two. Twenty two thousand. And they needed more of them. They only had nine of them, so uh, cash, whether that was uh, a loan in the form of a loan or uh, equity would have been important for them to meet them in. And the last thing I'll share before you tell us what happened is uh, they bootstrapped the company. And they said about 250000 kind of lost count, <laughs> which you may go, oh, how do you not? Well, because you don't. Because when you're, you're, starting, out, yeah, <laughs> when you're starting one of these damn businesses, you put money in, you find money wherever it is, you leave the money in the business, you put more money in, yeah. you borrow, whatever you have to you do. And then you look at yeah. your ledger sheet and you go, "What? this looks like a crime scene. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and that's what you do. And we, we love gritty entrepreneurs. You caught that nuance too. I, I kind of laughed silently yeah. when he said, yeah, we stopped counting after oh, yeah. 250. <laughs> All right. So, what happened? Yeah, there were a couple offers. I'll tell you, the Cuban went out. He thought it was expensive and complicated. Uh, Lori didn't see the direction they were going. And actually, we had a little exchange on that with Sean. He actually now, in retrospect, agreed that it was probably a direction. Uh, she was probably right. They were going heading in the wrong direction, at least in that conversation that was aired. Um, uh, let's see. Damon went out. He felt that technology and the market changes quickly. Kind of uh, astute on his part, but Mr. Wonderful made an offer. Robert made an offer, and they on the show they accepted Robert's deal, which was twenty percent for seven hundred thousand dollars. So that's where it was on air. All right. Well, Sean's a, a great guy. Great interview. A lot of good uh, lessons that we'll share on the back end of this. So enjoy the interview, and we'll see you from the post game. All right, we're here with Sean Spencer, uh, appeared on Shark Tank October 2017, probably feels like a, a lifetime ago in some ways, uh, with a product called Mir Mir. Um, let's start at the beginning of your story. How did you get uh, introduced and, and become an entrepreneur? Yeah, so my entrepreneurial journey um, started all the way back in 2006, 2007. So my, my background is in design and photography. And at the time I was working in Hollywood in various art departments. Uh, I believe I was in, uh, there's a show called Rules of Engagement. Uh, it was a Sony show that ran for a while. And I was there and one of my, I, I, I vividly remember one of my coworkers who was a mother uh, she came to work one day and she, she was just ranting about how frustrated she was with the school uh, picture, school portrait experience that her son had had. I guess he was sort of um, an awkward kid and uh, they had paid money to the school to take the kid's portrait and it didn't come out great. And that was it. And that, and that little mind virus just kind of stuck with me for a little while. And in 2006, 2007, this was the time where believe it or not, user-generated content was still sort of new. Um, YouTube was kind of hitting its critical mass and um, Instagram was just sort of coming onto the scene. So people were starting to generate their own content. And I, I kind of put two and one and one together and, and made two out of uh, making, just making your own content 
In other words, taking your own picture, right? The photo booth. So a photo booth, if it was gonna be used for school portraits wouldn't work because it's super low quality and um, it's just kind of a dated technology. No, not a lot of industries paid much attention to that space. So with my background in photography and design, I started just thinking about what would that look like if I was gonna take super high quality components and put it in some sort of apparatus that could be automated and, and self-serve and, and have kids be able to take their own school pictures. And that, and that was basically the beginning of it. Um, I, I quickly realized that schools don't really have much budget for a high-end piece of equipment like that. So my whole marketing strategy shifted quickly to high-end events, but that was sort of how it all began. And uh, like I said, at the time I was, I was um, working in different art departments um, and at night I was sort of taking the time to develop this idea, uh, literally in my garage, tinkering around, building things. And when it got to the point of a working prototype, I just kind of realized, I, I think I could do this on my own and, and, uh, and I quit my job. So. In, in that original device, what was so special about it? Because you didn't, during your pitch, there wasn't a lot of discussion, at least that aired around, you know, what was so special about that $22,000 piece of equipment versus <laughs> other photo booths out there, I guess, from a technology and design and engineering standpoint? Yeah, for sure. Um, so in terms of a photo booth, like I said, uh, there, there hasn't been much innovation in that space for forever, basically. Um, so I took high quality DSLR, high quality lighting, um, and stuck it in a box. And that, that isn't really that innovative, but at the time, no one had really done that. But then I even took it a step further. Once I did that, I started experimenting and taking pictures. And I realized there had to be something else to it that would really hook people on it and make it, um, sort of be something that would generate word of mouth and that would be special. And what it, what it came down to was creating a, a skin filter. And again, back in 2006, Instagram existed, but there was no skin filters. Like nobody was doing these uh, face tuning or anything like that at the time, except for maybe in a, in a magazine, right? You would take high quality pictures and maybe post production in front of the magazine, but in real time, no one was doing it. So that was, um, I think what really set it apart is I developed a whole sort of like recipe that the instant the picture was taken, then we would run it through this whole process to make it look special. And then when we would show it up on a screen or print it for someone, people would double take all the time. And they would look at them, whoa, I normally hate pictures of myself, but this looks really good. Like, what are you guys doing? And that, and that was it. That really kind of set it apart from anything on the market. So you guys, I mean, I couldn't believe the revenue that you shared on the show. I mean, 4 million of sales in three years. Where did that business come from? What was the, the marketing tactics or um, that occurred for you to be able to, I mean, really come out of nowhere uh, in, in what I would imagine a pretty competitive space? Yeah, so um, that was a tricky thing. Once I came up with my product, uh, you know, how do you price it? And I knew that I wanted it to be premium. I wanted the, the void in the market was having a quote unquote photo booth at an event as high caliber as the Oscars, right? So a normal photo booth at that time, and even today you could rent one for 500 bucks, right? Well, the Oscars isn't gonna have a $500 photo booth on their red carpet. It's just, 
it doesn't fit, it doesn't work. So I created hardware that I felt aesthetically looked right in that space, looked really expensive and really high end. And then I just started kind of playing with numbers, looking at what other vendors would charge for high end photography, um, even DJs, what are DJs charging? And I sort of landed at a pretty high price point, um, $2,000 to $3,000 range for four hours of service. And before I was ready to start asking for that number, which felt really high at the time, um, I, I decided I just needed to prove the concept first. So I actually just started doing events for free. And I started contacting the highest event, highest end events in LA and, and just saying, hey guys, uh, this is what I do. Um, I would be happy to provide service for free. If you could you know, put me somewhere that's visible at the event, I'd really appreciate it. I didn't wanna be stuck in a closet or something. And, and it worked. I started finding events that would have me, have me for free. And what, the, what I didn't realize would happen also is that it was just a massive um, marketing opportunity, giving those people that hands-on experience with the product. Uh, it wasn't long after that before I could start charging that premium price. It, it happened pretty quick after that. Well, I'd imagine too, I mean, uh, whether it was a music festival or a big award show or whatever it might be, there's probably some cachet in you just saying, oh yeah, we did this event and that event. No one needed to know that you were there for free and that's <laughs> right. kind of to be there. Yeah, that's, right. that's probably a good lesson to, for entrepreneurs is figure out a way to be at these things to gain the credibility that goes along with it, even if you're there for free. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think too often uh, entrepreneurs make the mistake of trying to charge out the gate to your point. I, I, they're so fixated on, Hey, I spent all this money to make this thing. I spent all this money to, to get to where I'm at. I need to make money quick. And it's like, you will eventually, but man, if you can get that sort of testimonial from from a celebrity by giving them free product or service or showing up at a really high end event and then claiming it. Yeah. There's a lot of power in that for sure. How'd you end up on Shark Tank? Yeah. So Shark Tank came actually much later in, in my entrepreneur journey. I, I ran my company for geez, about six or seven years before going on Shark Tank. And, and, and I was in a real fortunate position that, I was already profitable. I wasn't really needing the investment, but obviously it's an incredible um, opportunity for press. Uh, I think most episodes get about 5 million viewers. And then of course you get, you get rerun numbers on CNBC. So, so that was, uh, that, that was definitely enticing. And being in, in LA, I was already sort of close to the whole um, reality show world. I think at one point I had applied to be on, Amazing Race or Survivor, one of those things. So, you know, those are always pretty easy to apply for when you're in LA, you're right there. And, and, I, and I knew also uh, one, one guy that was working with us a little bit as an advisor, he had, he had actually been on the show. And so he suggested it also, he's like, you guys, you could totally do this. And what's, what's interesting um, is we, we had one of the, the few products that all of the sharks had already used before we pitched them. So we, since we were doing these high-end events all over the world, you know, we're at, maybe it's a after party for a nightclub or a movie premiere opening. And here's Mark Cuban, we're taking this picture. And then we're at some other party and there's Damon, we're taking his picture. We had taken everybody's picture before even pitching on the show. So we, so it's a really powerful position to be in because the sharks kind of knew what we were, you know? <clears throat> 
Didn't Robert mention that uh, Mir Mir was at his wedding? Did I? Yeah, in fact, so we we started the application process to be on the show. And then just out of nowhere, we randomly got a call from uh, an event planner saying, hey, I want, are you guys available? We're doing this wedding. And, and we we're like, yeah, let's do it. And then we found out um, as our crew was at the event, they called us and they said, hey, we're at Robert Herbacek's wedding right now. And we we're like, whoa, what are the odds? So then, yeah, like a month later, we taped and Robert was like, you're just at my wedding. <laughs> there was some uh, pushback. I, I believe it was Damon uh, was concerned about technology, everything moving so fast. Was that a viable concern? I've always been concerned with that. I was always concerned with it. Um, technology progresses, as we all know, so fast. All you have to do is look back five years at, at what your phone could do and what it can do now or, or what existed and what didn't exist. And, and I've always been terrified that, in fact, the phone would be the thing to put us out of business because they're getting so good, especially in low light, which is what most events consist of is lower lighting, um, that I, I certainly predict at some point in the future, um, they'll be able to take better pictures than anything, you know, uh, it, it, with, with the software that they can also run to. It's, it's pretty incredible. So yeah, I was always worried about that. Um, uh, and we, we were also always innovating sort of new, new products like, uh, the, for a while, those little boomerang videos were popular. We had machines that could do those. And, you know, you always got to kind of keep up with the whatever is trendy. So you exited the business a year after the show aired. Yeah. As you look back on that stage of your life, you know, what did you learn from that? I mean, really a long period of time that <clears throat> has served you well here, uh, you know, four years later. Oh, man, uh, a lot. <laughs> so. It, you know, starting at the very beginning, it was very scary to quit my job. That, that's something I think most entrepreneurs have to do at some point. They have to just literally quit their job and go all in on what they're doing. Um, I think to be an entrepreneur, you have to be a certain type of person that is willing to take that risk. You know, it's almost like a poker player pushing all their chips into the table. And if it's an entrepreneur and they're bootstrapping their company, they literally are pushing that money out and, and risking everything. So that that was that was a pretty scary cliff to jump off in the beginning. It's also, of course, very exciting. Um, I I think a lot of people glamorize the entrepreneur lifestyle. They like to think, oh, you can you can work whenever you want, and you don't have a boss. But the truth is, you have to work all the time. I mean, maybe there's some startups that are able to sort of create some automated passive income and not do much. But you know, most entrepreneurs, all you do is work. Uh, I, I remember a span of probably five or six years where I never took a vacation and I was just working, working, working. Now I'm, I'm really lucky because I have, maybe I'm cursed, I don't know, but I have pretty serious OCD. So I just, I prefer to work. Um, I prefer to think about work. I'm the type of guy that I'm sitting in a movie and I'm thinking about work. So for me, that whole 24 seven hustle wasn't too challenging, um, but I've seen people not anticipate that. Um, I think, I don't think you have to be uh, a gambler or, or an OCD crazy person though to be successful. And in fact, I, I've seen a lot of bright people who simply align themselves with others and, and create a team that, that can get it all done, right? Um, so, so yeah, that, that was something that I didn't quite anticipate in the beginning. And 
it's also a little bit lonely, to be honest. You know, you're working, you're working in a silo. You're just alone. You you don't have people to go to for help sometimes, especially if you're sort of inventing something new. You know, who who do you ask? You're the one making it up. Um, but you know, in this day and age, I think things are changing. We, we live in a much more connected world. It's very easy to find support, um, to find answers, to to Google whatever you want. I mean, YouTube, you can pretty much figure out how to build a rocket ship these days. Um, so uh, I'm sorry, what was the original question? Kind of go. Well, I was just there. asking for lessons, and that was a great uh, brain <laughs> dump. And um, I, I know there's a lot of them. So I know I have a follow-up though. So if you were advising uh, a newer entrepreneur, someone who was on that lonely island, uh, what what sources would you point them to uh, to feel less lonely, to be more connected? What what specific or granular advice would you give them? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it, uh, like I was saying, we, we live in such a connected time. Uh, you could do something as simple as a Facebook group. You could even form your own. Um, there's all sorts of entrepreneur organizations. You guys run your uh, Growth 10 and there's these, there's so many groups you can join with and it doesn't matter if they're doing the same thing as you. You're still going to run into the same problems, same challenges. And maybe it's something as, as general as like raising money, you know. And um, I, after exiting uh, Miramir, I took a year off. I was interested in, in developing physical products in Amazon. So the first thing I did was I joined an Amazon mastermind group. Instantly, I, they fast-tracked my learning so much. And, and I'd spent a couple months thinking around online, taking courses and stuff. But as soon as I joined that group, it was like putting gasoline on the fire. It was amazing. Um, currently, I'm, I'm living in uh, Utah in what they call the Silicon Slopes area. It's Lehigh, Utah. And there's a huge booming tech scene here. Uh, Adobe has a massive campus. Um, uh, Domo. There's all sorts of amazing tech companies. And there's also an org called Silicon Slopes. Um, I'm currently an ambassador for them and they're a nonprofit and they have tons of things to do and things to see. Uh, they have local chapters. They have um, uh, recently, I was actually a judge in a startup pitch competition where they granted two winners um, a quarter million dollars for their startup. Uh, they have a tech summit coming up. So, and it's just, it doesn't even really cost anything. And you're instantly, you have access to um, CEOs of massive unicorn companies and uh, people that are just starting on too. So uh, I think, I think that's really important. And a lot of entrepreneurs, they, they, they're sort of these lone wolves, but you don't have to be. And I, and I think you're, you're sort of doing yourself a disservice by doing that. Let me ask you, so as you uh, are involved in Silicon Slopes, what are, what are some of the best things uh, that you see from entrepreneurs, either innovative or exciting? And then after you answer that, I have a follow-up. Yeah. Um, well, I actually had a chance to to see a few things firsthand uh, the other week when I was judging that pitch competition. Um, I think there's some exciting things happening in telemedicine right now. Um, I've never been a huge fan of the healthcare industry in this country as it stands. Most people aren't. It's It's pretty much broken. But I think there's a lot of interesting, innovative things happening where you can have sort of subscription model based things where you're paying very little, but you're getting instant care, be it through a Zoom call like this, um, even getting prescriptions filled. And so one of the one of the startups had to do with that. Um, streaming services, there was a there was an interesting one that had to do with um, uh, audio books for children. 
And so I actually, I have a couple kids. And so that spoke to me. I thought that was great. You know, as a parent, you're always looking to sort of filter you know, what's getting to your kids. And so something that does that automatically is pretty cool. Um, there's, uh, it seems like a lot of SaaS is, is happening these days, you know, it, we're moving into this virtual world. So there's always going to need to be some new services to complement what people are trying to do. My follow-up to that is, and certainly you don't have to name names, but are, are there people that you see and maybe through that organization or other things, I'm just curious, what are some of the big mistakes or flaws that you see in entrepreneurs these days? Like what are some of the, just the, the dumb stuff that you see uh, entrepreneurs doing? That, that yeah, just for sure. Drives you crazy. <laughs> yeah. One, one of the ones that drives me nuts is um, how would I phrase this? It is, is sort of like pivoting and not focusing on, on what you're trying to do. Right. So let me give you an example. Um, one of the pitches that I heard recently in, the, in that competition, uh, the person had a, they already had a successful um, house cleaning products business, sort of like honest company type stuff. And, but their pitch was to create a factory that made uh, organic bottles for their product, right? So the two are symbiotic, but at the same time, they're pivoting and they're not really blowing out what they started. They're not finishing what they started and, the, and, and they by no means had hit the ceiling. And so I, I feel, and, and you know, to be honest, when I was on Shark Tank, we made the same mistake because at the time we had to, we couldn't meet demand, right? And so we had a product, couldn't meet demand, needed some funds to increase equipment, increase offices, increase staff and meet the demand. But instead we were a little too focused on new verticals, right? And not really focusing on our core business, which was events, but we were starting to think more about permanent installations. And Lori actually called us out on that. And she was like, look, you guys are starting to, I can't remember exactly what she said, but she was like, you guys are looking at this. And I, she could sense that pivot and she didn't like it. Yeah. And so I, said, I think, in fact, she said, I just don't like the direction you're going. Is what That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and, it, and it's, on hindsight, hindsight 2020, I wish we hadn't done that because the truth was we really couldn't meet demand for our core business. And we, we would have used the funds for that. But you get excited about the shiny new toy or, or the new feature that you're going to add or whatever. But I think it's just really important for entrepreneurs to, to sort of tick off one box at a time. You can't do it all at once. Do one thing, do it right, and then add to that. I'm, uh, by the way, I'm making notes because the only reason Tom and I do this is so we can learn and become better entrepreneurs. So that was wonderful. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, this is, this is good stuff. I, you know, the, I call it the, the SBO shiny business object syndrome. Uh, I love that. That's perfect. Yes. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Or you can just yell out squirrel. <laughs> and have the entrepreneurs will turn their head. Yeah, you've yeah. got to, you know, unless your idea is uh, completely flawed, you've got to bring it across the finish line, understand, um, you know, use data to understand how it's uh, played itself out, then make your pivots. But yeah, we often mm -hmm. get away from our core competency. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me ask you this. You know, you've been 
you know, for, for being a relatively young guy, you've been at this entrepreneurial thing for a while. So what drives you? You know, why, why do you do it? Um, what gets you excited to jump out of bed? You obviously sound like one of these people that, you know, lives whatever you're doing professionally at the time and doesn't really bother you, which is awesome. Um, but what yeah. really motivates and drives you as an entrepreneur? Yeah, um, I, honestly, I get more satisfaction out of learning something new than I do making money. Um, that's just me personally. I love to learn. Um, I one of the since exiting my company, one of the reasons that I exited I, it's after ten years in the same space. You kind of get to a point where you're not really learning a whole lot new. You may be scaling, you may be growing, you may be making more money, but you're not necessarily learning. And I, I've just I've learned so much in the last three years; it's ridiculous. I um, after dabbling in the physical product Amazon space, I, I sort of thought to myself, what what industries are really going for grand slams here, and what industries are really trying to innovate more than any other? Those are the industries that, to me, I know I can learn at and are gonna challenge me. And so it came down to a couple things. Um, cryptocurrency, I think is very interesting. There's a lot of innovation happening in that space. Um, artificial intelligence, uh, those were kind of the main two actually. Um, and then of course, I'm a big fan of like uh, SpaceX and Tesla. Um, I'm not necessarily qualified to work at SpaceX. I wish I was, I love rockets, <laughs> but um, AI is what, what I ended up attaching myself to. And so I, I, um, I took a job with a venture back company called the AI Foundation making incredible things. Uh, I got to work personally with Deepak Chopra, Richard Branson, Biz Stone, co-founder Twitter. Um, and uh, currently I'm VP of marketing for a company called Boom AI, and we're uh, developing some pretty amazing technologies also. And so to answer your question, I, I, I just love to learn. And I love to challenge myself. And, and that's what keeps me, that's what gets me out of bed every day. Last question I have, and Joe may have something for you. Oh. Who are some of the people that have really helped you as an entrepreneur who taught you, who motivated you, who mentored you? Who are some people yeah. that have you become as an entrepreneur? Um, I wish I could say it was somebody that I had the privilege of working with in person, but I, I would say uh, that's not the case. The, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of um, podcasts and um, books on tape. Uh, I would say probably my favorite source of um, information and inspiration is Seth Godin. Uh, he, he has some incredible books. I love the way he thinks. And so I've, I've listened to most of his books many times over. I love just good old fashioned self-help books, Tony, Rob Tony Robbins, stuff like that. Um, and then I, I, I have a bit of a spiritual side to myself too. I, I'm a big fan of um, uh, meditation and present moment awareness. And so I listen to a lot of Eckhart Tolle type stuff. And uh, those, are, those have been the biggest helps. So are you one of those people that typically has a, a podcast or book on uh, audio going at all times? Oh, yeah. All times. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. All, all three of us are what I call lifetime learners. We're learning geeks. We, you know, knowledge. And I, I love your statement that um, you get more satisfaction out of uh, learning, learning something new than just turning a buck. That's that's pretty impressive. So, yeah, I, I think the money can come, you know, it will at some point if, you, if you're, if you're really getting after it, but uh, it's not going to make you happy or fulfill you. So 
I think it was, and I'm loosely quoting Steve Jobs, I think it was something like, you know, most guys get into business and, you know, they, they, they're starting a company, they want to have a quick exit, they want to turn a quick buck, but it, if that's all you're in it for, if you're not in it to learn and grow, um, you won't build a business because it's about the journey, it's about building a business, it's about what you learn, and then the money follows that, so. That's right. Great, yeah, it's a great little lesson for people to hear from someone like yourself who's uh, lived it. My last question, uh, then we'll wrap up, is uh, you're in a VP role right now. You're not the number one guy. You're probably the number two or three guy or something like that. Do you yeah. see yourself stepping back into that role of being the number one person uh, in your business? Uh, yeah, I, I do. Um, look, I, I'm, I'm definitely an entrepreneur at heart. And like most entrepreneurs, I, I have a black book full of ideas. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, literally, uh, a lot of them have pitch decks already made for them. So I, I'm really excited about what I'm building now. But um, that book is always kind of calling my name. And, and I'm always just looking for opportunities to, uh, to maybe launch something new. Yeah. And I think that's awesome. And our, yeah, as the mind of an entrepreneur never rests. Uh, that's for sure. This has been great. Yeah, I really appreciate it, guys. I appreciate your time as well. And uh, look forward to, to staying in touch. And certainly seeing uh, where your entrepreneurial journey takes you because it's pretty obvious it's far from over. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And if you guys are around Utah, hit me up. We'll, uh, we'll do something fun. Be great. Well, it'll probably be during ski season. So that's uh, right. <laughs> we'll, we'll go to Little Cottonwood Canyon. We'll go to the top and ski out there together. How's that? I love it. <laughs> Well, good. Well, uh, thanks again, uh, Sean, and, and best of luck to you. And we will talk to you soon. Thanks, buddy. Okay. Take care. All right. We're back. Great interview with Sean. We got some cool takeaways. Uh, you want to go first this week? No. <laughs> I gotcha. Yes, I'll go first. Okay. I have five things uh, from the uh, Sage of Silicon Slope. Show. One of these times, I'm just going to go first and I'm going to watch you because you're going to look like you want to explode. Your face is going to turn purple. No, that would, that would throw me off. Good. And so we yeah. have the little things that we just do. We're, we have a great partnership. We've, we've fallen it's a the good little... partnership. <laughs> we've fallen, okay. It's a mildly great partnership, modestly great. Solid. Solid. But we fall into little roles where we just instinctively do stuff. Each of us do different things, and it's, it's you know, that's when you know you have a pretty good partnership. But I will go first, as always, and I have five things. First, they were, they were willing to give the product away uh, <clears throat> for positioning, and I thought that was very, very bright. And sometimes we don't do that. We're so penny-wise that we're dollar-foolish. And I love the fact that they would put their uh, mirror mirror equipment at an event with with high traffic with celebrities people looking at it uh using it and they and they were willing to put themselves out there just have people say gosh i need to book mirror mirror at my next event well yes yeah, so you get the you get the exposure being there but then the other thing too is that you know not that i like when people name drop but in business you sometimes need to right you know and you just casually say yeah last week we were at the grammys no one needs to know that you were there for free um, but just, yeah, we, yes. were, we were involved. We worked with their team, you know, and you could just say to them, hey, love to come check it out. You know, if you're in L.A., you go to a Laker game and say, hey, do you mind if I just set up and uh, just, you know, happy to do it? Would you be willing to do a pilot to see if it would be a good fit? Sure. Yeah, we did the Lakers. We did the Grammys. We did this. We did that. Why wouldn't you do that? And I think it's so smart. I think that, you know, 
sometimes, you know, I think people think they're above that. Oh, well, why would I give my product away for free? Oh, uh, you know, well, because sometimes you need to do that stuff. You know, you know who else is a name dropper? Who? Joe Mazzello. You're not a name dropper. Yeah. You think you're a name dropper? Yeah, because I said to myself, self? Okay. Let's go on. <laughs> Number two. You know what? You're starting, you're starting to crack up a little bit. It's sandwich time. Oh, it is so close to lunch right now. Watchers and listeners, so close. Uh, I have some ravioli picked out for lunch. Number two, <clears throat> he was willing to cut the cord on his JLB, his job, and take some risk. And there, you know, you start a side gig, it starts to build. You have to muster up that faith. You have to go out and capture that faith. Faith is very important as an entrepreneur. You have to have faith that the vision you have can come to reality. But at some point, you have to cut the cord. You have to let go of that J-O-B and move forward. He was willing to do that. So I love that. Um, he also mentioned that being an entrepreneur is not as glamorous as some people think. Uh, you do have control of your time. You're, you're not sitting in a cubicle. Maybe. Maybe. You're not certainly not sitting in a cubicle with someone else telling you what to do under that corporate structure, be it large corporate or small small business structure. But it isn't as glamorous as you think because the business is actually on your mind all the time. And I, when he said that, it really resonated with me because I'll wake up in the morning, you know, I'll be showering and shaving, thinking about the business, grabbing a cup of coffee, thinking about the business, driving in my car only four minutes here to the office thinking about the business, and when I go home, I have to work hard to turn it off and be present for my lovely wife and, and family because I still want to think about the business. So it isn't quite as glamorous as a lot of people think, which is, I thought that was a cool statement. Um, he's also very aware of what I call squirrel, uh, or, <laughs> squirrel or the shiny uh, business object SBO syndrome. What? I knew you were going to have an acronym. <laughs> I, love, I love my acronym. Oh, an SBO. Shiny Business Object. So what he said was tick off one box at a time. You have an initiative, you have a product you're launching, whatever. Tick off that box and get it across the finish line before you become you know, wildly diffused in your energies and efforts. Um, and I, the last thing I'll say that I thought makes Sean a very, very cool person is that learning to him is more important than making money. And again, we keep score as an entrepreneur by the, you know, with a dollar, the dollar, gross profit, net profit, uh, the, you know, the uh, asset equity in our business. But he actually values learning, learning new things more than he values just making a ton of money. I thought that was very cool because I think that embodies us too. We want to make a lot of money, um, and we, we have paid great money already. We'll continue to build the businesses that we build together and individually. But you and I are learning geeks and freaks. We love to learn. Yeah, learning new things. I call that LNT. <laughs> okay. I got a couple more. Um, hey, you know what? I should, dra- I, should, I should just drag this out to see how long you can go without just leaving and going to lunch. <laughs> Well, that, that leftover ravioli is calling my name. All right, so... Make this fast. They went, <laughs> they went high-end. Yeah, look, Walmart's good, Nordstrom's good, but you got to pick one. You know, you don't want to be in no-man's land. So uh, they went high-end. I thought that was great. Um, 
I thought the prices were reasonable, but probably compared to the market, they were on the high end. Um, the only other thing I'll add, because you had a lot of the same stuff that I had, but um, he was in a Amazon mastermind group. Yes. So this is so stupid, but it's so true. When you want to learn something, figure out a way to learn it. So online courses, mastermind group, peer learning group, book. I, I, I don't care what it is, but just figure out a way to quickly and the most effective way possible educate yourself in something. And so as an entrepreneur, you have to embrace learning. You have to want to learn. You have to be a learning geek. Look, we've done, you know, 60 of these interviews now. We've aired, I think, over 20 of them. Thanks for being along with us with the ride, too. We're having a blast doing it. Um, but that's one of the things that is a common theme amongst all these entrepreneurs is they're all learning super fast. They want to learn. They want to get better. They want to get more efficient. Um, do I outsource this? Do I bring it in-house? Do I build a factory? Do I find a co-packer? I mean, it's just people are just quickly trying to learn and figure things out, and it makes the business so much better. I mean, one of the best ways to grow and scale a business is by being obsessed with how can I learn as much as possible and apply it, and how can we get better every single day, every single week, move every fast, single month. Right, move, yeah, absolutely. You have something else? No, I just it, it, was, <clears throat> it hit me that I made a note. If you're a bit lonely, join a group. Yeah. I mean, figure out a way that, you know, you don't have to just sit there by yourself going, okay, the only source of knowledge that I have is what's right in front of me and what's in my mind. Leverage other people, leverage resources. You are not alone. So great stuff. I, I just enjoy the, the heck yeah, out of Yeah, Sean's a great guy. Great guy. Sage of the Silicon Slopes. Can people join the group with us? Do we have that opportunity? Growth10.com. Uh, you can learn more about what we do and... If you want to just contact us directly, Tom at Growth10.com, Joe at Growth10.com, we'll make sure we put you in a good tribe. You want to read our book? We'll give it to you for free. OutsideTheTank.com, you can get our book for free, audio and text. Pick whatever you want. Hope you enjoy it. Entrepreneurial landmines, all the big mistakes that entrepreneurs make and how to avoid them. Love this. Okay. See you next time. All right. We'll see you next week on an all-new episode of Outside the Tank.